So don't be cute. You know, be be thorough and like in many cases, verbose variable names is preferable. Always better. Even if they're weirdly long, you know, if you have a variable called like number of seconds until this thing explodes, that's a totally fine variable name. It's long, but it gets the idea across. There's no question about what that thing is. No question. question. I would would tack on at the end of that in milliseconds, just to be crystal clear. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 425 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's July 20th, 20 Jubilee. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be swears and curses and hexes on this show. But also cares. You know, it's care. swearing is caring, yeah. you know. Uh, we'd just like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for your monthly donations to help us keep this podcast going. Uh, all right, you guys. Well, there's a lot of things happening in the world of gaming, in our world, in, you know, in the studio. Uh, we're working on lots of new Crash Ends 2 features and starting to kind of like ramp up into a uh, content push. But since we're in the middle of some systems dev, we're gonna we're not gonna talk about what we're currently working on with Crashlands 2 until till it's more solidified. So as a mm. result, we're just gonna do questions. Question getting today. Let's go. You guys ready? Yeah. How many All can right. we get? Predictions. I'm gonna guess two. Let's go. I'm Mode. going. I'm going for three. I think three. We're, like, this is going to be a big one. It's also going to be a little bit a of a shorter one. episode because we're threading some scheduling needles. So. Even three, still, three is a big. Okay, let's Even go, still. boys. Let's, let's go. It. All right. Highest upvoted question from podcast.bscash.net comes from Young Patawan, who says, Did you guys read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin? I was reminded of the Costa Crew a gazillion times while reading it, in a good way. And I was wondering what you all thought about Zevin's approach to writing about the games industry and the creative process. I'm particularly interested in your thoughts on how she depicted university student games and the early career grind. Okay, now I got to say, Sam's probably thinking the same thing that I am right now, which is, so Seth asked us if any of us read this book before we started the podcast. And we were like, nope, haven't even heard of it. So then we were like, okay, I guess we probably won't be answering this question then. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, oh, how many many questions are we going to get on this episode? And Seth's like, we can get three in here. <laughs> yep. yep, I fucking oh, snuck that one right in. We talked about this last week. The metrics you use, you know, yeah. oh, sabotage, subterfuge. Mm, that, yeah, that's true. This is a good illustration of the topic of last week. So nice job, mm. Seth. Nice job, Sam, mm-hmm. pulling that out. Uh, yep. Everybody learned something today. Now, the reason that I wanted to get this question not not just so that I could win the bet, but which was a huge part of it, but also, <laughs> but also because so none of us have read this book. So we don't really have anything to say about it, but I just want to say thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, yeah I read the synopsis and I was like, I probably should read this book. So. Yeah, it sounds yeah. pretty cool. Uh, so at least one of us will probably read it, you know, in the coming period of time. Yeah. <laughs> but now this question will already be answered, so I guess... Uh, yeah, but also this question's been at the top of our list for like a month and a half or something like that, and oh. I just keep <laughs> skipping it, and I want to get I want to get it checked off the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, also consider a nice little, you know, recommendation for people who are listening. Because if yeah, it's, it's a if fictional it's novel yeah. about, about game development. Um, and like we've talked a lot about because like we've been running this podcast since 2015 when the studio was just a few years old at that mm-hmm. point. 
And so we have kind of on archive, on record, some of our own experiences with the kind of early career grind. Um, but we never went to university for, for game design, but we have worked with universities and we've worked with a lot of students um, on just how this process works. And Sam and I actually taught at uh, Washington University. We taught a game design course, or actually not a game design course. We kind of taught a game development course, yes, which is an important distinction. Uh, so, yeah, I'm curious to see how it's depicted in this book and kind of how that ties into our own experience. If the way she depicts uh, student games is that they are largely on teams of too many people and trash, then I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the best student games are solo projects. Yep. I'm gonna, I said it. I'm going to I stand Say by it. Again. Uh, all right, let's go on to the next question, which is from Quava Get a Lamp, who says, "Get a lamp, hey, get a lamp, Quava. I don't want a lamp. Yeah, well, you need some. We'll kind get of one. You know, I do. I should probably get some more lamps. The, the ones I have, I have, I have <laughs> yeah. lamps that have remotes right now, but one of the remotes doesn't work, so I have to go physically with Ugh. my human body go walk over and turn it on. Which can't believe you haven't died by now. I know this is twenty twenty. So your body, <laughs> yeah." Just fucking garbage. Look, but also, have, Adam, it, it's Quava get a lamp, not Quava get a lamp if you want one. That's, that's, not, that's not part of the question just here. Just get one. Uh, it doesn't matter if you don't want one. It that's sounds fair. like you need one, honestly, with a, with a functional remote. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Uh, so Quava says, hey, Sam, been oh. listening quite a while and find your art journey very interesting to learn about. I've been wanting Thanks. to get back into art. Yeah. Uh, I've been wanting to get back into art and illustration specifically for a while, but as an out-of-practice artist, I feel a bit lost. Can you recommend any specific art classes or books that helped you move forward? Mm, talk about this one a lot. I still revisit it whenever I'm a little uh, out of touch with my stuff, which is the Gesture Drawing for Animation collection of essays by Walt Stanchfield, which as of a couple years ago is just packaged up very nicely in an actual book. Instead of like a weird ass PDF, you got to go dig around the internet for uh, that you can get on Amazon for like, I think like twenty bucks or something, and it's great. It's it's not just technical. The guy, the way the guy talks is, I would say it's almost like a spiritual thing, but in a fun way where it's like, what's the point really of putting these lines down? What do you do? Yeah, those you are always the, the best. I, there was a yeah. there was a weird math book I found at a at a half price books a few years ago that was like written in the seventies by some random professor who I couldn't even find on Google. Right. Like perfect. just doesn't even exist anymore. Right. But it was like it was like a theoretical math book, but it was just about like how math works. Right. And his the guy's person, he was kind of a dick, to be honest and fair. He was kind of a dick, mm -hmm. but he was just like well, it is the 70s. Is, exactly. It's the 70s. <laughs> he's an, he's a, he's an old white dude. Right. Like he's tenured. Not okay. unexpected. Yeah. yeah, presumably yeah. tenured. But like. The way that it was I, so like Sam to that same idea, right? It was like when I was reading, it wasn't like a guy was trying to teach me how to do math, right? Or right. or like the way that we all had math books in school. Uh, sentient non-being was trying to teach us math through mm -hmm. carefully constructed paragraphs that made sure no person seemed to be involved in the process, right? It was mm -hmm. like it was just this person like exploring the like the the metaphysics of like Yeah. Why why are we even doing this? What's even popping the off point? about the craft? Yeah. And you it know? was like, and I've never learned more about math in my life than like reading the first third of this book. All of a sudden, all these 100%. things, it was just things like he was like, why is this like this? And the answer and the, the answer was always because we decided it made it was useful if we did it like that. Like that was the mm -hmm. answer for all the questions. And and mm -hmm. and it turns out that's how everything else works too. Oh, and yeah. I was like, oh my god, such a breath of fresh air, you know? So good. 
Yeah, things are they, the way they are because somebody decided it was useful at some point. And yeah, enough people yeah. agreed that that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, like, you, there are these, like, weird things of, like, oh, you know, zero factorial. It's like, what is that? And the answer is it's it's one, right? And it's like, why, though? And it's like, well, if it isn't, it makes a whole bunch of things really inconvenient. It doesn't make, <laughs> yep. it doesn't make logical sense because it can't, right? But it's if it not true. Though, yeah. It's, it's just useful. It's just yeah. useful. So we decide it's true. Yeah. It's well, actually, that's a very good, that's a very good piece that is also in that animation book it's not about truth it's about what he calls capital t truth yeah which essentially comes down to getting what getting what you're trying to get done done um but yeah i think so that that book always really good and then um i really enjoy i know it's not for everybody but the uh ethan becker youtuber i think it's hilarious he basically does these fake call out videos where he's like this person who's some other youtuber you know, fancy Instagram artists. This person's art sucks. Here's why. And then it's actually like, it's basically, he has a microphone attached to a giant hunting knife that he uses. <laughs> <What>? It's <laughs> insane. The whole thing's insane, but it's, it's actually really good. Yeah, it's I really can good. see why he's not for everybody based on just, just, just yeah, depiction. But he's very fun. And then uh, Cynics, it's S-I-N-I-X on YouTube is also some of his earlier ones where um, there's like a shape language and design stuff that are just really fun videos that again give you a way to think about things that aren't just like here's how a fucking torso works it's like no yeah uh, memorize this yeah. yeah anything you can how find do- that isn't just memorize the like or or that doesn't lay things out prescriptively i'm just say like here's here's because like, I, I think sam's also over the over the years shared various like color theory things like with the team and probably on the podcast and stuff too right and then i've seen a whole bunch also for web dev related things and uh and it's so like so many of them are just kind of like Here's some approaches to like take it, but but it, but it's it's largely just like here's how color works, but in this very like prescriptive like here's the truth kind of a way, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until pretty recently when I I started seeing all these like interesting discussions about all these new color mechanisms that are coming to the web, um, and like new ways of describing colors to give you access to new colors that you couldn't even describe before, like you know with like RGB Ooh. and stuff, mm-hmm. and. And then they're talking about like how – then they had these discussions of like, well, how do you define a gradient, you know, between one color and another? And and like and they, I had all these assumptions about like, oh, there's just a way you do these things, right? There's like definitions of these things. But no, there aren't. Like, oh, everything is just a debate and a fight about like, well, what does color even mean? Because it's about human perception first actually. It's not about even reality first. And then how do you nah. match these things up? And then monitors can only see certain colors and print can only see certain oh, colors. Yeah. You know, and, like, the, thing that, the thing that fucked me up when I was working with like shaders more with Crash Ends 2 and learning more about, about color through – through code was when writing converters to convert um, RGB, which is red, green, blue, mm-hmm. zero to two fifty five, right? So converting that into uh, into HSL, which is mm-hmm. hue, saturation, luminosity. Yep. So luminosity is the brightness, right? Mm-hmm. And it stands to reason that with RGB color, two fifty five, red, green, blue is is white, which is the most, it's the brightest thing that there is, right? Mm-hmm. And 000 is black, which is the darkest thing that there is. And so a reasonable person would look at that and just be like, oh, like the luminosity must just be how like numbers. how big those three numbers are. Yep. But actually the luminosity comes like 70 something percent just from green. Yeah. Because yep. green is just bright. Green is fucking bright. And yep. then and then the blue is like seven percent of the luminosity. Yep. And then the red is the is the remaining, you know, 30-ish or whatever. And it's like 
the idea that the luminosity is basically just a measure of, hey, how green is this? <laughs> <laughs> but it's also yeah. that even those like that that kind of like fraction you came up with, that's not the truth, right? It's just use. That's just you know? a yeah. way you can convert RGB it's, to HSL. Or I guess to, in this case, you're talking about just luminosity, right? But there's a way you can like get the luminosity from an RGB value in a way that feels like it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a whole bunch of other ways to do it too, right? Yeah. Because there isn't a truth there. There's just- Yeah, because well, there's also HSV, which mm-hmm. is very similar to HSL, but the calculation is slightly different because it's useful in another con. Because you know, mm-hmm. like color is just about perception. And also mm-hmm. like you also don't know um, whether your perception of colors is the same as other people's. Well, actually, there's probably no, some- not because of color There's some variation. Some, yeah, other stuff yeah right but even, even like if you're not, if you're not colorblind- and neither is somebody else, you still don't know whether you are seeing Yeah, because the thing the that we all did as things, kids, right, yeah. where you, like, look at the sky and you're like, do I see the same color blue that you see, you mm-hmm. know? It's like, yep. And the answer is no, not yeah. really. Yeah, yeah but, but what does it look like? What is the difference? I don't know. Something yes. <laughs> uh, now, what, I have a question about the question. Mm. Okay. So the question it, it was, you know, I've been out of art for a while. I'm out of practice. I'm getting back into it, and I feel a bit lost. Mm-hmm. So I don't know is what does that mean exactly? I think it can like, mean a, a handful of things on the art side, which is that either when you're returning from having put something like this down for a while and you do have some skills, there's actually just a big question, which is like, again, it's always what am I doing here? Yeah, it seems like you'd it seems like you'd get you'd like kind of get back into it with like for a reason, like with mm-hmm. something in mind that you're well, wanting. I think, so, but I think I think you can you can seek it out more so for the the basically as a drive once you get good at it because it since it renders you into a state of flow and it's fun to make stuff right yeah what you're actually seeking is that typically is for me but that doesn't mean that i know what the fuck to do to so instead of coming into it like like oh i had this project i want to do it's like i don't like that i haven't been doing art correct yeah so i'm just gonna i want to feel that feeling yeah it's like when you go to the gym without a plan or some shit you know it's like you want to you have a want from a like an emotional drive standpoint that doesn't necessarily have a direct, there's not an obvious, just like a thing to do. It's very, I need to pick a thing to do. And the picking is usually where people get stuck. Yeah, and that's why I, yeah. I, was, I think that's also particularly true depending on where in the curve you left off and mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. much is decayed, right? Because when you're a complete noob at something, there's so many resources out there for like, here's the step-by-step guide to like, how to like too many things. get to the point where you can actually do at least something that you want to do. And yeah, there's too many of them definitely, but there's, but it's still like a, you can find a starting point, right? Cause there's everything is a starting point. Basically mm-hmm. when you're an expert at something, then you, it's so hard to find anything applicable to what you care about to like, to move your craft further. Right. And then there's these all like that, that huge intermediate kind of swath, but that swath in there in particular is exacerbated like the difficulty of it is exacerbated by decay of like the skill set mm-hmm. because if you're coming back to it and you know you used to know a whole bunch of stuff but you're not exactly sure like what you're good at and what you're bad at now right and you're not really sure anymore like where you fall because you used to be really familiar with your own knowledge on the topic right but now you're not even really aware of like what you do and don't know and so you simultaneously think you know more than you do but then when you go try to apply it you're like oh fuck i actually don't it's know Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, so I, so I can definitely like, I, I felt this with various, with like other programming languages or other topics where I like, I, or like I used to know f- so fucking much about like genetics and because of you know, stuff I got my PhD in. Right. And now I definitely, I definitely have no idea how much I know anymore. And it's only when I go like 
interact with that thing again in some capacity where I'm like, oh, this is really familiar, but I don't really remember it. But then I look at something else. I'm like, what right. the fuck is that? Right. And I'm like, I know, I know that I used to know that, but I thought that I still did, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I, oh, I was gonna say, I wonder how much of it too is like, as you, as you get older, I feel like your relationship with knowledge changes. Like you, you become less confident about stuff that you used to feel like you knew, even if you still quote, know that thing. Right. Um, because as you experience more of the world, yeah, on the whole, you realize how little you know, right? Yeah. And so, like, I wonder, like in my case, I I was really into finance, and that was my uh, my major in college, and I I uh, took I took the CFA exam and passed that and all that. Um, and my courses were all about you know evaluating companies by looking at their cash flow and their financials and all these different ratios and ways of calculating how inventory and money is flowing through the company and then like using that information to then judge like if you were to buy shares of this company, what should the share price be, right? Um, and is this company overvalued or undervalued? But at, like – and that all seemed very interesting and useful and, and uh, as we learn more about it, our professor would kind of come in and just like keep peppering us with this, this motto of like no matter what you do, you can't beat the market. As in whatever price you see for a, a stock or whatever, that price represents the entire investment community's best guess about what that is worth based on all of the publicly available information. Mm -hmm. So you yourself don't have any new information that other people don't have, right? Um, and so – Also, so, so much of that public evaluation – isn't coming from crunching numbers about the company. It's coming from like it's just random bullshit. What do people think about the CEO? What was in the news recently? Yeah, it's you know, just like yeah, like some company announces something and suddenly the share price drops by forty percent, and then the next day it's back up again. It's like was that company worth forty percent less for one day? Yeah. No, like nothing. Literally nothing changed, really. You know, and so. But there was a time where like I believed that there was – that like as I was learning about finance, like I believed that you could evaluate a company and then come to a decision about whether it was overvalued or undervalued. But the more I learned about it, the more I realized this is all just made up bullshit yeah, and none of it yep. – <laughs> none of it is it, – it's like in economics when people talked about like every – if you model economics based on every human being being a, a rational – utility maximizer with perfect information, and then here's what economics looks like. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what people completely are. Divorced from yeah, it's so like the more yeah. I learned about it, the more I realized like it, it's all just extremely loose, best guess kinds of things that actually don't really apply to most situations. Yeah, which I think is, you know- uh, So I just forgot about all of it. When you, when <laughs> no? you come back to something- you know, after a time, I think you have to recognize that if it's been a while, you've done some other things, and you, you know, you're you're arriving as a as a different person than when you left. Yeah, you've and, seen some things. Yeah, and that means that you might be interested in some things that you weren't interested in, or uh, if you're having trouble grappling with, because there is a big component to the art thing that isn't present in some of these other uh, components, which is just the manual skill. Like literally moving your yeah, hand, actually um, rendering the lines, and rendering the lines, that sort of thing. And so there's there's actually a lot of uh, I think I personally like I've been going through a, I've been revamping as we were going into this uh, kind of big content push that we more or less have started as of like a week ago. I haven't been really on doing a ton of art since literally probably a year and a half ago because we've just been building the game like the systems and so it's just been little it's been piece by piece by piece to support enough to build this next system out and the last time I was able to do this for like actually 40 hours a week just doing art was 
I think like October to February, like basically like two years ago, a year or two ago. Um, so I am like, I am rusty and I've been going through this myself. But the thing I always come back to for me personally is basically a few of those things I know help just sharpen my skills, if that makes sense, that aren't new or hard, which is comes down to me for gesture and just like basic form work with people and hands because there's like just quick poses uh, there's a great online thing for that but just doing like 10 minutes of hand drawings or uh or people there's just so much cool stuff going on in there and you could tell if you're wrong you know it's not like a come up with a new composition of an imaginary creature like no, no, no it's just it's basically this very straightforward practice that you can use to kind of like essentially just kind of just get that reignite the engine a little bit but you don't have to it's not like you're embarking on a new fucking huge quest or a new tool or whatever else but that's also a piece of it that you can use depending on again who you are now that you're coming back to it which is sometimes when i return the first thing i do is actually do a almost like a tools overhaul or revisit like clip studio paints what i use now and i love i read the patch notes like i go find ways that people are using it um even if I don't necessarily have an application for it. But basically, again, a way of like wetting your appetite for the thing, but without necessarily having to commit to like a project. And people always talk about choosing a project as the way I get back into it. But I think that's a little, yeah. depending on where you're at on the lostness, that can be just too much, you know? I think this, this idea, your idea of like practice something small and easy that supposedly you're already like mm-hmm. good at, right? Um, because you'll be rusty there too if you haven't been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think your point of like, it gets your brain into the right space to then more easily figure out. Like, and I, so I actually do the same thing. So, so for programming, like my tool is the keyboard, right? Yeah. And if I haven't coded for a while or, or if I'm just like feeling like I'm struggling to like make my brain do stuff, I'll just go do some typing practice, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's the yeah, same keyboard. thing. It's yeah, the same thing. Com or something, right? And just like, just fucking type and, uh, and, and the satisfaction of like, cause like, you know, because like I've learned how to type fast and well, and like, and I, and I have this mechanical keyboard that feels great, you know, so I'm just slapping these fucking keys. Exactly. You know? mm-hmm. And so just like getting into that mode where I'm just like going and typing faster and faster and faster. And then I sit down to actually code and like, there is something that has 100%. changed right about, mm-hmm. about my comfort level with now going and tackling some other stuff just by basically sharpening the tools. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, what's really nice about that is that you, there's no big commitment. You don't have to know oh. anything about what you're doing. It's literally, it literally is like, you know, if you're a chef, maybe getting out your knives and sharpening them. It's like the same, it's all these things that just kind of put you in the vicinity of the eventual act that you would like to do and sharpen your fluency at the same time, but without any overhead. Yeah. It's that, it's that work your way back up rather than say, oh, it's been so long and then sit down. And I think like, same your point is exactly right, which is like, if you sit down to work on a project that has the same level of like complexity and skill requirements that you left you off with, yep. right? Yep. Then it's just going to suck. But if you can find a way to kind of rapidly work your way back through like the skill set, right? Mm-hmm. To get to that project, then you'll discover because I'm wondering like those, those skills like come back pretty quickly, typically, you know, if depending on how long they've decayed, oh, yeah. but even still like they, most skills tend to come back pretty quickly once you start repracticing them again. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's a good path to do it. Yeah. yeah and a last thing you, can definitely try to do to kind of help reignite stuff is just make sure that you are giving yourself this time and space to do it. If you're just kind of like um, thinking like, yeah, maybe I should, maybe I'll do some art today. You're not though, right? <laughs> like you got to have a, set, set aside the time and, and try to make sure that that's something, even if it's just like an hour or something um, here and there, right? Make sure that, that you've got it slotted, you got a plan for it and then nothing can interfere with it. Because one of the other things that I think happens when you're trying to get into something or get back 
back into something is you'll hit these um, roadblocks that something isn't working. Your your mm-hmm. software needs to update. There's you can't find some files that you like work around stuff. the work right. Yeah. yeah, there's all this like administrative shit, and if you don't actually have a committed you know like hour or two or whatever, and like you run into one of these things. 10 minutes in, it's very easy to just be like, "Mm," and then just kind of get up and start pacing. And then suddenly you're on your phone and then you're in the next room. And then three hours later, you're just like, what? (laughs) So you just, you need to give yourself this, the slack and the time to, to grapple with all the administrative hurdles that just come in, come into all this. So, all right. Next question comes from Narga Trucky Dipatub. Is this the third question now? Because this is the third. Shit. Nice. Seth, you got us. Yeah. Yep, but, you know, I I rigged it, so it's fine. Yep. Uh, fine for me anyway. Uh, so Nargatrucky asks, on which end of the OOP versus functional programming spectrum? OOP being object-oriented programming. Yeah, this is uh, very in the weeds question. This is yeah. going to be we yeah. So we may have to skip this or do an extreme high level. We can do it. We can make it work. We can do it. So all right. So Let's here's the question. On which end of the OOP versus functional programming spectrum are you? I'm worried that my way of thinking just doesn't seem to fit the OOP paradigm very well. Hmm, even good, after good trying to yeah, even after trying to apply it in a few projects. Right now I'm hobbying on a, which I, it's a good verb. I'm hobbying <laughs> on a small game with SDL and FP and I'm loving it. Don't know what those mean. Uh, but sometimes I worry if I'll get into trouble if I try to make more complex stuff without object-oriented programming. Given that it's kind of an industry standard, I think is this worth worrying about? <laughs> I think. Okay. <laughs> so the, the I core question at the very end this. is just: Is this worth worrying about? Which is yeah. So I'm so, gonna so I'm gonna go kick ahead. this off by saying object-oriented versus functional programming. Uh, nobody listening even needs to know the difference. Besides to say, these are different ways of modeling the world in code. It's just like kind of different fundamental approaches. Um, so I need to know the details of exactly what also. Are made. All this is made up. Yep. None of this is real. So that's the first thing to always remember. Is is back to the discussion earlier. Why do these paradigms exist for like how to model the world in code? And because at some point somebody found them useful, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are some programming languages that are written for one of these particular approaches. And there's other approaches too, right? But there are some programming languages that are written for that some approach. And you might be able to kind of do another approach a little bit, but the language isn't well suited for it. And so it's like really for one thing. Uh, so there's a, over the history of tech and software, like what is dominant ebbs and flows, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand the kind of the, the question askers concern about like object oriented programming seems to be what everybody's doing in the industry standard and, and all this kind of stuff. Right. And it ha- like, that's been like the ebb, actually, which one's the ebb? I don't know, but that's been the high, the high part. That's, yeah. that's been what people have been doing, right. For a long time. Um, and, and there's a reason, which is that object-oriented programming basically says, try to mimic the shape of the world in your code. That's basically what it's saying, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's a, if there's a thing out in the world, make a thing in your code that's kind of shaped like it somehow, right? So yeah. simple example, let's say you're, let's say you've got shrubs in your game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can make a quote object called a shrub. Yep. And an object is just a collection of information. Collection so your information. shrub, yeah. So your shrub might have a bunch of values in it, like how many berries are on it. Berries equals seven. That's a mm-hmm. that's a variable in your shrubs. If I right? get chopped down, how long does it take me to grow? You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Regrow time equals twenty nine seconds, whatever. Right. So like mm-hmm. these are all things that can be there in the shrub 
object, right? And so it's all nicely compartmentalized in one place. And then if somebody wants to be like, what's going on with shrubs in this, in this fucking game? I can't figure shrubs out. And they can just search for the shrub. Just They can just search for the word shrub. They will find the shrub object and all of the information about, about how, shrubs how it all works. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just all in there, right? So it's yeah. it's kind of like a nice nice way of kind of packaging up bundles of information into one yeah. spot. So. And and the nice thing about like embracing a particular paradigm is that people over the years have fought long and hard to find good ways of doing things that are otherwise really tricky, right? And so these are what we call design patterns in programming, and presumably elsewhere, right? Is like again, none of these are true. None of these are real. None of these are the way you're supposed to do stuff, right? Useful ways. Of They're thinking. just useful things that people have figured out. So, so when I'm coming to programming, um, uh, I don't give a shit. That's the kind of short answer about whether I'm writing functional or object or programming, whether I know all of the things and so on. The reason I care at all is because those are all useful tools to be aware of. That's why, that's why I even know what these terms mean, right? Um, that's why I've read books about various ones. Um, and and it's that's, I think, where the value is, is if you know enough about these things to understand like how people use these approaches to solve problems and why they're useful, then you're basically just expanding your toolkit. But if you fall into these dogmatically, where you say like, should be functional, should be option-oriented, should be whatever paradigm you want, um, then that's where you're being prescriptive, right? Yeah, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't, well, it doesn't actually yeah. matter. Cause the, the thing that, cause like, cause like the question asker said, which is why I like how it was framed was I'm basically, I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out how to like use optional programming to solve these problems that I'm solving. Right. Then, then that means that's not a good, <laughs> that, that means it's not a good toolkit yeah. for you. And this, this is something like when I'm, when I'm reviewing other people's code, when I'm like trying to figure out what advice to give or like what suggestions to give, mm-hmm. um, then I try to focus on what they need for their brain. And I might also give some commentary about what I would like to see, but I also try to couch that in terms of, but the reason that I would do it that way is because the way that my brain works would make this much easier for me to navigate, right? Because you're accustomed to a certain set of design. So if you're working with other people, that's when the decisions matter, but that's a collaborative question, not let's do this paradigm or let's do that paradigm. The question is what the hell are you trying to do? And why are those useful tools to use for solving your problems? Right. Yeah, I, th- I think there's basically a question of, are you talking about fundamental skills or fundamental philosophies that underscore every approach? If you're talking clean code practices, right, whatever. Um, or are you talking about a higher level collection of design patterns like object-oriented programming, whatever else, that essentially are a way of going about executing on top of those foundational approaches that, are better served for certain models. And then I think the final question, because of the end, what was the end question? Should I be worried about this? Um, it is, yeah, just is this worth worrying about? Yeah, I think the answer is no. If you are able to deliver on what you're trying to do, given your current skill set. If yeah. you're not able to deliver on what you're trying to do, then it might be because you're missing a pattern. You might be in a space where it actually would make sense for using object-oriented code or else. And so the reality is like you can make really like janky products that do extremely well. I mean, look at, look at Crashlands. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. If you want to talk about pr- programming paradigms, I don't think there is one <laughs> that applies fun. to Crashlands. <laughs> it's, it's just a, a just, pile yeah, of variables. So yeah. uh, the stick I always use is just, does it help me get this project over the finish line more efficiently? 
and then also you know maintain it if it's the maintainable. Yeah, well, I think that's uh, that's where this really comes in. I think is is so I would basically agree with all of that with the slight difference of like should I worry about it? I think in the sense that the question asker is asking. Sam, I think you're right. No, is the answer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're having trouble. Um, but I think with a different kind of tint on the question, the answer is yes, which is basically mm -hmm. like, should I care about the differences, right? And the answer yes. is yes, because like, this, this is a toolkit question. This is, and, and, I, and I will very freely admit that I, I still struggle with, with some of the core concepts of that are just classic object-oriented design patterns. Um, mostly because they're named so fucking horribly that I can't like the, my brain just slips right off of them while I'm trying to like figure <laughs> out how they work. Right. Um, and so, so, so like that means I don't use those, right. Because I can't figure out quite how to think about them and use them in my toolkit. But it, like once a year, I take one of those things that I couldn't figure out before and I go see if I can figure it out this time. Right. And, and that's just been true for like, every design pattern I've ever run into in code. And I, so I try to see other design patterns all the time and, but I don't worry if I don't get it. I just kind of file yeah. it away and I'm like, okay, I don't understand this right now. I don't, I can't tell if this would be useful. I'm going to revisit this some other time. Right. And, and if you approach things that way, and this is true for any discipline, right? Then just over time, you keep on expanding your ability to do things because what you will find is that there are, there are reasons that these design patterns mm -hmm. are well-established and it's because they're extremely useful for solving certain kinds of problems. But until you're really familiar with them, you can't use them to solve your problems. They actually just make your life more difficult instead. Yeah. But you you do want to, over the years of you practicing some craft, be able to add more and more of those things to your toolkit because then you can just do more stuff. And in particular, I guess we can all attest for like, like we're just joking about how Crashlands is a, is a mess, right? Yeah. Maintainability, holy shit. Okay. That is, that's like, that's the hardest problem because when you're, the fewer tools you have available, the kind of the wonkier your solutions have to be, yeah. right? That is, that's true. Like Sam said, if you can get it done though, that's most, that's always the most important thing, right? Mm -hmm. Most things that get done don't ever need to be maintained. Yeah. Yeah, because you know? most things don't go anywhere. They yeah. just go into they just go into the archives and your folders. It. It's like, well, that was a fun prototype yeah. to make. And <laughs> yeah, so the, so, the, so the kind of maintenance thing is actually just in your own brain, and then that's great, right? Um, some things do need to be maintained, but the reality is still that it doesn't matter that it would have been better for maintainability in the long term to do something a certain way if you didn't know how to do it that way, right? Because you couldn't have done that. And even if you did try, you would have just slowed yourself down. You would have done less. You would have had a worse outcome, actually. And so the most important thing, as always, is to is to always be stretching and trying to figure out how to incorporate new tools and techniques into whatever your practice is. Um, but don't do it dogmatically ever. And even if somebody says this, even if you believe when someone's like, this is the way to do it, you're looking at it, you're like, oh, I can see how that's true. If you can't figure out how to do it, that's still fine. Try again yeah, later. Yeah. You know, just but, keep, keep well, moving there's, on to things you do know. And there's one thing to worry about, though, which is, is your code clean and yeah. readable? Yep. If, because like, and these patterns uh, help yeah. with that, but that's still, a, that's a different question, though. Yep. Yeah. And like, as somebody who's been programming uh, primarily in Game Maker for more than a decade, um, you know, I don't know C++, for example. But the question is, can I read C++? Well, sometimes, you know, it yeah. depends. It depends on, like, if, if I see somebody else's code and it's in C++, if it's clean, if variables have understandable names, you know, whatever, 
then I can pretty quickly and easily piece together what's going on in that code. And I would be able to make some edits or, you know, do some work on it and figure it out. Right. But if, for example, whenever you like use time, you just use like T and whenever you use like enemies, you just use E or something. Then like, or if you're using some of these complex design patterns that you just have to know, you know, like, cause cause that's what I, I would agree with that completely. Like they're, when you're, because I call it being cute or clever, right? Is when you like, you just take some really cool design pattern that might be extremely effective for like what the thing you're trying to accomplish. But it also can make it so when you come back to that thing or somebody who's not familiar with that design pattern comes, comes to that thing, like, they just what, cannot figure out what the fuck hands. is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be cute, you know, be, be thorough. And like in many cases, verbose variable names is preferable. Always better. Yeah. Even if they're weirdly long, you know, if you have a variable called like number of seconds until this thing explodes, that's a totally fine variable name. It's long, but it gets the idea across. There's no question about what that thing is. No question. question. I would would tack Uh, on at the end of that in milliseconds just to be crystal clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so definitely uh, check out the book clean code for more info on that. Um, So, uh, Unfortunately, that's all. We got to cut this episode a little bit short. We have all kinds of scheduling chaos happening today. So uh, we aren't able to get the last little bit in here. But yeah, we got three questions questions in. So that's, you know, I call that a win. Good work, team. Uh, All right. Uh, We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Also, be sure to head on over to Steam and give Crashlands 2 a wish list. Uh, things are popping off since we had a we had a daily deal on Steam with uh, with Crashlands, so yeah, just wish it's list. pouring in. It's moving. It's moving. Yeah, but so not so hop, much that we don't need your help. So please, yeah, hop on over there. <laughs> give Crashlands 2 a wish list. We'd appreciate it and it helps uh, juice up the algorithms. So thank you all very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.